Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. My guest today is Eleanor Yanaga, and we are going to have a fun episode today because we are going to talk about misconceptions about the medieval era, which I find... Mm. Maybe we should have to talk about to- popular topics that people might think is how it is, but you know, most likely it wasn't. And <laughs> of course, we are going to discuss uh, about you know, try to bust some myths today. And mm-hmm. and how, as always, how did you end up studying medieval history? Um, it was kind of by accident at first. When I first got to university, I thought I was going to study Chinese history. And I, I was very interested specifically in, in uh, kind of like the Ming-Qing transition. Um, but then I took a medieval history course um, and fell in love and, and it was all over. Um, and it, it was one of those things where I think that, um, you know, we're often not taught medieval history when we're younger. It tends yeah. to be a specialist subject. And so I never really had the opportunity to learn much about it. And it wasn't something that I'd really been able to delve into. I too kind of fell prey to a lot of the myths that we're going to talk about today. And when I finally had the opportunity to kind of learn more about it, it just uh, sucked me in. And um, I've been stuck ever since uh, studying the Middle Ages. So, right. yeah. It is fascinating. <laughs> and of course, we're going to start with the medieval era itself because it wasn't called medieval the medieval era back in those days, right? It, it wasn't right. like, oh, I guess I'm in the medieval era now. <laughs> right. It, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like that. It wasn't a name for it at all, or did they just don't, yeah, not care? Yeah, it's. It's a really interesting one because um, it's, you know, the idea of the medieval period is specifically modern, right? Because you've Mm. got to have more than one era in order for there to be a medieval era. So it's a a modern conception of the medieval era is sandwiched between the modern era and the ancient era. Um, And it's incredibly Eurocentric, just to be clear. um, And it kind of starts with the bookend on one side is sort of the quote-unquote fall of western rome in 476 so that's like 477 bang it's you know the medieval the medieval era um and then when the medieval era ends is kind of more of a question mark it really depends on what you're studying and who you ask so some people say that it's uh the columbian exchange some people will say that it is um the introduction of chattel slavery um others will say that it's a martin luther uh because i do a lot of work on bohemia for me it's kind of the hussites uh so once you have like a successful hussite rebellion you've gone too far um but as a general rule of thumb you can say that if you've hit the 16th century that's early modern not medieval any longer we're going to go back to the Byzantines later but from what I learned the people say that the medieval medieval era usually ended with the Byzantine Empire yeah yeah when uh 
yeah it's like when when constantinople falls you know because if if we think about it Mm. as like they did as western rome and eastern Mm. rome then that's a really nice bookend right is that the era starts with the fall of western rome and Mm. it uh, ends with the fall of eastern rome so that's that's a really nice neat one as well yeah yeah Yeah. and of course one one thing that most people probably think that people weren't always miserable were they it wasn't always misery um, (laughs) yeah it's the most Probably a lot of movies depicted that people weren't always. Yeah, it's quite a funny one because um, I think that we tend to portray the Middle Ages as like specifically um, dreary. That's one mm. of the things, right? About like it's got no color at all. Everything is just black and white in everybody's mm. heads, and it's gray. And you know, the the exact opposite is true. The medieval period is super like gaudy they really really love uh, painting murals on walls and they're all wearing yellow constantly and you know they're having a lot of parties and they're running around you know doing doing all sorts of things um now having said that would i rather live now yes absolutely um i i like antibiotics and um mm. I'm, a, i'm a really big fan of i like living in cities and you know could I you live just... without netflix or disney plus i mean uh, <laughs> I suppose I could, but you know, who wants to, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, so obviously things are easier now in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, a huge simplification to act as though everyone was just walking around being miserable. You know, people had really complex um, lives and in some ways they were, you know, having a nicer time than we are. You know, they had more intercommunal connection. They had, you know, more things that they celebrated on a regular basis than we do, those kinds of things. Uh, but having said that, you know, um, it's true that pre-industrialization manual labor is really hard and 80% of the European population are peasants. So, you know, you would have spent a lot of more time plowing than anything else. And that's not necessarily anybody's idea of fun, but there are still a lot of, there was fun to be had and nice things that happened. Yeah. 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 And the next thing we're going to talk about is of course, one thing that medieval movies love to depict these tournaments and you did, did a review of one I, I don't remember the movie yeah but, uh, it made a history hits a while ago yeah and, yeah uh, and then was, was it really like that in, in, as medieval movies love to depict tournaments or was it not as big a steal as the movies make it out so interestingly um there are a lot of tournaments uh, but the way that tournaments function changes over time and interestingly we never kind of like show the older tournaments and the older tournaments it used to be way more about what they call the melee so a kind of like everyone goes in and fights each other all the time and jousting and things like that they come along much later in the period and they kind of actually come into their own as like a huge huge thing more in the early modern period so you know you'll you'll see like henry the eighth jousting all the time and things like that it's not to say that jousting didn't happen tournaments didn't happen they absolutely did um and they were something that people really liked you know that's one of the the, the pleasurable things that medieval people enjoyed was going to tournaments um you know the the only thing is that the last duel is kind of it, it's which i reviewed um in in that particular video it's an interesting one because uh people think that it is historically accurate but it's actually like based Based on uh, literature and it was like it's based based on a book written by a medieval literature person not a medieval historian so it's not necessarily like accurate as in this is a thing that happened it's accurate as in here's a piece of literature that says that it happened this way and those are two different things right like i don't go around saying that king arthur was real even though even though yeah. there were there's lots of there's lots of medieval um pieces of literature about king arthur right so yeah. uh, that's that's one of the differences but yeah you have um you do have a lot of tournaments people really like going to tournaments um but it's it's an interesting one because it's a really elite sport played by the nobility uh but everyone likes to kind of go and have a bit of a you know like like a football game now 
how people will just like we're, go we're celebrities it. If, if you won the games where was it yeah like celebrity status that we have now oh yeah absolutely so it's like um you know if you were a very well well-known jouster you would be famous and people do kind of travel from country to country and court to court making their living doing this mm-hmm. um it's kind of seen it, it's an interesting one because um it's it's considered somewhat unseemly by certain quarters so for example the church is really down on uh tournaments they the church doesn't like them because it's totally possible to die uh mm. while you are in a tournament and it was kind of like gladiator games from yes. ancient Rome, right yeah 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 it's like i mean gladiator games they're like the intention was that people were going to die uh mm. in the tournaments you, they were not wanting you to die but people did die you know because it's it's quite easy to get injured when you're running at another guy on a horse with a stick mm. you know like um and for example the king of france at one point in time dies because his eye gets injured um mm. in a tournament so the church comes down on the side of saying that tournaments are sinful because you know you're risking your life for absolutely no reason and really you know if you're going to be doing kind of martial things shouldn't you be doing that for god something something like that you know uh but nobody the really church all the fun doesn't it yeah, I know. That's the thing. Is that the church really wanted everybody to go on crusade. That's the thing yeah. that they wanted. So, you know, if you are just having a fun time with your mates, that's going to not go that's down. That's the same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Something similar is that duels weren't really that common. As, again, yeah. The depicts, but... Yeah, it's like it, that tends to be another one of those things based on literature, right? Because a lot of literature is written about duels because they're quite interesting, aren't they? Like, yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting thing. You can understand why people would write about them. But people are not actually walking around dueling every five seconds. That's not <laughs> That's not really something that, that does happen. Um, you do certainly get instances where it happens, but it's just that we have so many, we have a lot of records of whenever that happens. And if you consider that we basically got a record every time it happens because it's really sort of newsworthy, then you realize that it didn't actually happen that often, right? So, yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, because we we think it happened so much because it didn't happen so much. Yeah. Think of it like a plane crashes, right? You know, you you hear every time a plane crashes. So you kind of think, oh, this is, this is common, but actually it's not because you Mm. hear every time a plane crashes, right? Yeah. Speaking of the church, they were, or so again, I don't really refer, refer to the movies as they shown. They weren't that all powerful, were they? As they, no. as they put the Yeah, like so, so this is a, a really kind of important thing. I think that people kind of tend to um, show the church as this really mighty structure that was really able to interfere with people's lives, and that's just not the case. And in fact, it takes a really, really long time in the medieval period for the church to even start really functioning as a legal entity at all. So it kind of takes really up until what we call the high medieval period. So you know, think about that as sort of like the 10th century to the 12th century, 13th century, um, for the church to really get off the ground and until then it's quite fractured um you know the pope is mostly just like the bishop of rome and that's basically it there isn't really a kind of consensus on how things happen um and the church starts kind of taking off as having more prestige after charlemagne ropes the pope into crowning him um at at his coronation in in the year 800 and it's really not up until that point that the church has any power at all whatsoever and then even when they do have power they're mostly just a legal structure like you need to kind of think about them as lawyers in a lot of ways um and not like interestingly they're more like lawyers and less like police right Mm -hmm. 
Now there are some, uh, there are definitely some uh, instances where that is not true. So for example, like the Albigensian crusade where the church sends inquisitors to come to go stop the good men and women of Languedoc, who we sometimes called Cathars. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the church does kind of take a dim view of that. But for the most part, the church isn't really interested in the day-to-day lives of ordinary people because they can't be. Like, you know, there's a lot more regular people than there are members of the church and you know the church has a hard enough time keeping its own house in order you know you've constantly got priests shagging women and like doing the wrong thing and nuns running off and you know all these you know they they've got enough problems of their own they can't really police you too hard um they can kind of where does it come from the the myth that they were all powerful in the medieval era is it Charlemagne or is it i mean it's partially i think actually to do with the modern church um, and so they partially has to do with, I think it really picks up with the Spanish Inquisition, which mm. to be crucial, this is a modern thing. The Spanish Inquisition happens in the early modern period. It is not medieval. And so, and that is an interesting one too, because it's not even really necessarily the church. That's Ferdinand and Isabella mm. um, invited the church to Spain to do that. Ferdinand and Isabella wanted it done and the church responded to a specific request, you know, mm. and, and that's, that's different. Um, it's partially also just kind of like Protestant propaganda. So, you know, it's one of the big things in the modern period, you know, when Protestants get off the ground and they want to talk about the excesses and abuses of the church. And so they portray the church as this incredibly powerful institution that's trying to meddle in your life. But that's just their own, their own, they're, they're trying to sell you something, right? They're trying to sell you on Protestantism. And that really takes off and it kind of gets repeated. Um, And so it's a really interesting one because you will hear these kind of myths about this all powerful meddlesome church more often in places that have a Protestant majority. Um, Whereas in Catholic countries, they, people will still kind of be annoyed with church. Certainly that's true. Mm. Um, But you know, there, there is a kind of a bit more nuance around all of that. Um, And so, yeah, it kind of has to do with our own sort of modern sensibilities and our own design to kind of portray the church as in opposition to protestantism which in theory allows you more freedoms that kind of thing yeah and of course another thing we will have to talk about because people didn't fight have wars and didn't fight all the time did they no periods of peace (laughs) back in those days as well yeah i mean like were there wars in the medieval period absolutely but if you look at kind of like the thousand year spans of time that we're that we're talking about it's not sort of you have to kind of like look at europe as a whole you know and say in order to have that going and you know the same is mostly true of modern europe you know, and indeed, you know, there's there's no period that was bloodier or worse for people in Europe than the 20th century. That's the one where the most people got killed. And we don't say, oh, the modern era is just full of war. And, and that's what the 20th century was about. That's not the way that we tend to characterize things. Um, but the 20th century saw a lot more people killed in wars, um, a lot more people kind of sucked into that. Um, and, you know, that's it, it's also war is a lot different. Um, is there kind of raiding and pillaging during medieval wars? Yes, absolutely. But the war machine itself is not such like um, a well-honed instrument at the time. So, you know, you have weapons that are a lot less effective. A lot fewer people are killed in battle if you actually have to walk up and stab them. Yeah. You know, right? That's It's really, really difficult to actually stab people. Um, whereas it's a lot easier to kind of shoot a gun and kill someone. Yeah. So in general, we find that death rates are lower in war and you know yeah there's wars but you know again it's, it's just like airplane crashes we're always studying them right mm-hmm. so that tends to be the thing that you hear about like you hear about the hundred years war because it's so crazy but and even then the hundred years war it's kind of off and on yeah. depends on the season i was they trying to say, I was trying to say the black the, death yeah, i was trying <laughs> to say about the 30 years war as well the war where there were breaks it wasn't 30 years yeah. straight fighting 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, people, people take a break. They wander over there. Yeah, other things happen. So, you know, uh, to characterize it as a particularly like fractious period or a period where there is a lot more war is just is just incorrect. You know, it doesn't yeah. really hold water. Uh, were there wars and battles? Yes, absolutely. Is that the thing about the medieval, medieval period? No, I would not say so. Hmm. Yeah. And as well, as well, people didn't fight in the winter for obvious reasons. Yeah, like it's just you, you just couldn't. You know, um, if, if you are kind of relying on your army being able to pick up provisions as they go along in the winter, you're not going to be able to do that. Travel becomes much more difficult, uh, you know, without again, you know, when there are no trains, there's no cars or anything. You've got to do everything on foot and horse. You can't be going through snow in yeah. order for that to happen. So it just doesn't happen in the same way. Another thing I want to take you up is that as if you read any pre-19th century books on history, historians love to point out that nationalism wasn't really a thing until the 19th century. And as we discussed, we discussed this in the episode about nationalism as well, where if you belong to, let's say, York, you were a Yorkian, if you put it that way, or if you belong to London or Manchester, you were from Manchester, you were from England, yeah. right? And yeah. borders were just for kings and royalty, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there are a few sort of, yeah, I think that the, the big way that people kind of thought about themselves as Christians, you know, that, mm. that was their thing. And what they could point out what a foreigner was, right? They would say, okay, well, that person is a foreigner. But, mm. you know, people didn't really go around saying, oh, yeah, hi, look, I'm, I'm English or I'm Bavarian or something like that you know it it, it simply wasn't the same you will see in places where there's a big linguistic differences sometimes that being pointed out so for example I do a lot of work on Prague and you've got a lot of German speakers and Czech speakers and there is a kind of lot of back and forth about like who is who speaks what and what they do but um, at the same time a lot of people speak both Czech and German so it like lines become blurred you don't know exactly what is happening there and that can also be kind of confused because the word for nationality and uh, language or tongue is the same in czech which is yazik and so people will sometimes go back and like oh oh, they're talking about the czech nation and it's like are they or are they talking about language you know and so you know this idea that here's a border and this really matters to people who like regular people that's not the case it sure it matters to to rich people it matters to the nobility because they're interested in taxation Mm. Uh, but for the people who are paying the taxes, a lot less care is taken. We'll put it that way. <laughs> and we did try to, on the Python, I should try to point this out in the Holy Grail where the, you, you see the peasant on, in mm-hmm. the digging dirt that they don't know who King Archer is because he's, <laughs> you know, he's, he, the only way is that he, because he hasn't got shit on himself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but, you know, they kind of do point it out that they don't care where they're from. They just, from, as yep. far as they, the peasants in, the, in that movie were concerned, they from that place yeah exactly people tend to talk about that they are from a village Hmm. or they're from a city and that sort of thing you know even even to say that they are from you know a a larger locale is probably not something that they would do they they don't necessarily see themselves in that same way they see themselves as tied to their community and so they would talk more about their community than anything else and so you know a foreigner might not even be what we would think a foreigner is but say you know you live you live in some small village and if someone comes from the nearby city you might consider them to be foreign Mm. you know and of course uh, that brings us to the next point which uh Heroes didn't, knights didn't really rescue maidens in need, did they? If they no. were about to get married and uh, they didn't want to get married. 
Yeah, it's a, a pretty pretty low on the on the ground instances of has, a main. Has it happened? <laughs> has it happened at all, or is that just fairy tale? I mean, I'm 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 actually trying to think. Not really. Um, you know, it it's a trope in literature that comes up a lot, but um, you know, that doesn't mean that it actually happens in real life. Uh, and it's knights for the most part are they fight wars. You know, they collect taxes. There's a lot more tax collecting goes on um, as a result of knighthood than than rescuing any damsels. And um, you know, the the idea that people would kind of like rescue um, women from arranged marriages is kind of a strange one because you know, for the nobility, who you know, the knights are members of the nobility, like they might be lower members, but they to be a knight means that one is a member of the nobility. You know, arranged marriages are the norm. Yeah. you know and and no one is really kind of expecting yeah. anyone to marry for love the idea that someone would marry for love is is yeah. pretty much completely foreign yeah. to to uh people in the medieval period so you know the idea that you would rescue a maiden from what is essentially her destiny right it it just doesn't make any sense yeah. what you would see a lot more of is knights writing love poetry to women who are married to a guy they don't really care yeah. about than rescuing them from anything yeah. And of course, then that brings us for us to the next bench because I, where, where does the myth about fire arrows, as you know, how Hollywood loves them? So where does the myth yeah. come from? Is it Hollywood purely, or is it? I because think it, they weren't really practical, were they? No, I mean it, it's not really the sort of thing that you do. I think that it's a combination of factors. So I think that Hollywood has sort of taken on board certain things that were on fire in the medieval period and then said oh okay well we're going to add this to projectiles so it tends to be stuff like you know boiling pitch or you know boiling oil just like cooking oil was sometimes the things that people would use in the defensive castles and they dump things on people that's real and then you've also got greek fire uh which the byzantines used and which we don't know what it is uh which is which is interesting we have no idea which is of course what dragon fire from game of thrones yeah exactly exactly yeah. And so I think that what happens is that people have kind of combined these two things. So they, in their heads, they're like, oh, there's arrows and there are these fiery things. So let's make a fire arrow. But also, you know, for a long time, the great majority of any arrows that were used in the medieval period are on crossbows. They're not on longbows. Longbows don't show up until quite a bit later. Um, and longbows are used are a specialist weapon that you have to be like really, really good to use. Um, and so, it, I mean, think about how you wouldn't want something on fire that's on a crossbow right in front of you. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. A lot of being an archer is like standing there holding a bow for a really long time, even if we're talking about a long bow. And so you can't you can't do that if it's on fire. You know, so it's 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 one of these things that looks really cool on film, but it has almost no practical applications. Mm-hmm. So. Did they use it all, or it, it, it? I mean, they might have been. I, I can't say that they weren't. We don't have a whole lot of uh, we don't have a lot of sources that talk about it. I'll put it that way. Um, but I, I can can I rule it out? No. Can I say that it is a regular feature of battle? Also, no. You know, like it's it, it's one of these things where it probably came up from time to time. But if you think about all the things that you would need to do in order to make that happen, it's kind of you know less likely. And of course, we mentioned them quite a few times in this episode, but for one thing I feel like we have to discuss is that the Roman Empire didn't really fall in the fall. Yeah, that's right. 476, did it? No, I mean, like, the idea that the, the Roman Empire fell is, it's a it's a fabrication of historians from the modern period. You know, the idea that um, just because an emperor is toppled, you know, and a quote-unquote Roman emperor, mm-hmm. you know, the last the last Roman emperor is really just a puppet. He's, he's not much of anything else. Um, that didn't matter. 
<laughs> you know, that's lots of it too, too fine a point of it. You know, no one woke up the next morning and said, oh, I guess Rome doesn't exist anymore. That, yeah. That's not really what happened. Um, you know, we now refer to the Roman successor states. So, you know, people who kind of come along like uh, Theodoric, for example, mm-hmm. um, who rule on the Italian peninsula. And we have a look at them. Uh, but uh, you also, know, we got the Byzantine Empire, of course. Yeah, and then you've it. also got the Byzantine Empire. So it's like, go, go tell who referred to themselves as Eastern Rome. You know, Byzantium, that's our word for them. They mm. never called themselves that. They say we're Romans. And like for mm. completely good reasons, because they are. They, they continue think, yeah. all, all of the exact same traditions. You know, they've still got chariot racing. They still have huge urban populations. They've still got all of the things happening over in Constantinople that you would expect to see from you know uh, western rome now having said that there over time uh they do lose a lot of their taxation base you know they lose um after the uh conquests of uh the muslims they lose you know for example egypt and places like that but they still hold on to quite a lot of land that is traditionally roman and indeed when people talk about the fall of the roman empire a lot of the time they're not really referring to egypt or for example um even places like libya which they should be because that's where a huge amount of taxation was actually taking place. But if what we're talking about is culture and norms and standards, that continues to happen in Constantinople for quite some time. So it, do- it doesn't work on both counts. You know, on the first, for the first hand, you've still got half of Rome sitting right there. And on the second hand, no one in Italy thinks that Rome has fallen. So how can we say that Rome has fallen, you know? And of course, if you read the election by Anna Kumnen, which we also made an episode about a few weeks ago, she refers to herself and the Byzantines as Romans. She doesn't yeah. say. Mm-hmm. And, doesn't and people say tend to. They, they call yeah. them the Romans. Yeah, yeah. Like, and why would why wouldn't they? Mm. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense not not to to say that. You know, again, Byzantium. That's our word for them. It's yeah. not their word for themselves. That was a and, Renaissance invention, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a Renaissance, and the Renaissance is guilty for a lot of these things, you know. And the Renaissance is really largely, you know, an infomercial used by Italians to sell art. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people on the Italian peninsula had a dim view of what had, of what they see as kind of like a fall from prominence of Italian culture in Europe generally. So they partially come up with a story about how the Middle Ages is bad because what they're saying is that any time that Italians, not that there is a concept of Italians at the time, but any time that the Italian peninsula is not considered, you know, the center of government and culture, that's necessarily bad to them Mm -hmm. and so they talk about a fall of rome because they're constantly trying to revive rome they're constantly trying to bring rome back and by that they mean they want to place it as the center of europe and they want to be the most important like cultural and political hegemony that there is so they're always kind of pushing back because but you know you've also got the holy roman empire as well which incorporates a lot of the italian city-states and you know um the idea that they were not roman is again that's that's a, a modern take it's not really theirs and of course it's because of the byzantines that you had the crusades in the first place exactly because the crusades happened because they want some help getting their land back that's really what it was about mm. you know they were losing rather a lot of ground to you know um the the various uh, muslim emirates um and so it's i believe it's the umiads by the time the um uh, actually Seljuks, I believe. It's the Seljuks, yeah, yeah, it's the Seljuks, yeah. So there's the Seljuks up top, and they're losing, you know, lots of parts of... Um... Either, either, either it was the Seljuks, and I 
I might be wrong with the TV episodes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's the it's the episode Kyle said that by then. Yeah, the episodes have toppled Obeds, yes. Um, and uh so they are losing a lot of ground, they're losing a lot of taxation bases. A lot of this comes back to taxes. I keep bringing up taxes, but it's yeah. because taxes are important. They're boring, but they're important. And mm-hmm. uh so they ask for some help from the church because they say, Oh, well, we can pay this as a religious thing, wouldn't you rather Christians were involved? Uh the church uh stirs up a bunch of trouble. Um, and it's turns out that western europeans don't care as much about uh upholding byzantium's claim to land for taxes so much as they do kind of romantic ideas of coming to uh you know coming to the east and taking over jerusalem uh, which goes so so you know the first crusade is pretty successful but all the ones after that are absolutely you know it, what, what i would say i would not call them successes uh, but uh, you would think you that we would learn. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Badly, you know. Uh, yeah. And you would think that we could have learned something from the fact that when Europeans come mm-hmm. over here trying to meddle, it doesn't go too well after a little while. But you know, we like to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So yeah. you know. <laughs> so why why does the medieval era have such a bad rep? Kind of is put it I that mean, way. Okay, so partially, you know, it's, you know, these, these pesky Italians and their, their idea of the Renaissance. That, that was a very effective propaganda campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hilarious because it was just all invented to sell Michelangelo's art, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if you look into it for more than five seconds, you know, it's uh, the idea of a Renaissance in this way um, is a product um, of this thing that's called the Lives of the Most Famous Painters and Sculptors. Uh, which was made by Viserys to sell art and more specifically to sell Michelangelo's art. And he talks about how bad art was up until the point that Michelangelo came along and there's a rebirth, quote unquote, of, of art. Now, to extrapolate backward from that and say, you know, someone's preference for one particularized art style means that, it, you know, a thousand years of history is bad seems silly, but there's some other reasons on top of that. Partially, it has to do also with kind of like the modern predilection for empire and colonialism, right? Mm. So what we're kind of looking for in the modern era a lot of the time is a precedent for what it is that we're doing, right? So um, when Europeans show up in America and they are colonizing all over the place and they're doing some light genocide and they're doing a lot of slavery and things like that, they go looking around for precedence for it and you know lo and behold there's rome and rome is a noted colonial slave empire right you know mm-hmm. uh 40 of the italian peninsula during uh the height of western rome are slaves and so we start writing history saying oh you know things are better when there's an empire yeah like oh well, yeah empires that's when things are running really great um everyone is happier stuff is better things are always good and the medieval period doesn't give you that right? The medieval period doesn't give you just like one big story about how it's completely okay to dominate everyone around you, right? Because yeah. it, it's more like smaller and local things that are going on. And a story that is incredibly complex and complicated and where everything in Europe is, is really quite different you know, from each other. So, you know, things that are going on in Southern Spain are completely different to things that are going on in Bohemia, which are completely different to things that are going in Sweden. You know, like uh, if you go to all of these different places, you'll find really different stories, really different governments and really different ways of running things. And that doesn't work 
uh, when you're trying to come up for a reason why you've got to go over there and take a bunch of stuff from a, from a different group of people, right? Yeah. What you want is the grand story of uh, what what is good and what is righteous. And so we've all kind of like us glommed on to these ideas about Rome being a good place, which which doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. If you just take five seconds to like look at what was going on for them, like that's that's not the case at all. Um, and also partially medieval people are to blame. And medieval people are to blame in this because they've got a real different. I like how we call them medieval people. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know, um, they, they they've got this thing, um, the way that they think about time and the way that they think about knowledge is, you know, because they are they're Christian, they think about the universe as being and time as being strictly linear. So there's kind of like a beginning, middle, and an end. Eventually, we're going to get to the end of the world, right? And the further we move along on that timeline, the worse things are. Because at the beginning of time, when we were in the Garden of Eden, uh, we were in the divine presence, and our knowledge and understanding of the world was perfect, and we were in union with God. So the further along the timeline we get, the further away from the divine presence we get, and the more confused we become about life. So the Romans are therefore people to be looked up to and to be emulated because they are closer in time. I mean, everyone wanted to be the new Roman Empire. Exactly. The successor of the Roman Empire after they fell. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting one because, you know, the idea of the Renaissance is like, oh, everyone was stupid and they didn't know anything about, uh, and we lost, mm. quote unquote, all this knowledge from the ancient period. I'm like, probably medieval people do nothing other than read ancient texts. Yeah, All they do is sit around and read Aristotle. That's all they do all day long. It's very... I mean, even monasteries translate a lot of these works. So into... many things, you know, to the point where uh, one of my fun stories about this is... Um, when the renaissance comes along everyone decides that they want to go back in time and they want to make a script like a, a written script that is closer to what like original roman things are because they, they want to to look very good and very roman um and the, you know the, the the hand that everyone is writing at the time is batard or secretary hand and it's a mess and i have to deal with it all the time and so yeah they come up with this script they call it humanist script funnily enough humanist script has absolutely nothing to do with romans and it's actually based on carolingian minuscule which was mm. invented by charlemagne's scribes in order to translate all of these texts and to to get all of these classical texts out in the world but the oldest classical texts that they could find were all copied by Carolingians. So it's actually a medieval mm. script. And that, that kind of tells you everything that you need to know about the Renaissance, right? Mm. It's just made up. So thank you so much for coming and taking the time to be on the podcast. Before you go, do you have anything you wish to promote on social media where people might find you if you... Oh yeah, questions. there's all there's all sorts of ways uh, to find me and I always love asking quest- uh, answering questions. So um, I'm on Twitter at uh, my at is at going medieval. Um, I've got a blog going hyphen medieval.com where I, I write a lot about medieval history. Um, I've got a fun comic book right now that gives you a generalized mm-hmm. introduction to the medieval period called the middle ages of graphic history that is out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in January, I'll have a new book out, which is called um, the once and future sex. And it's about um, societal uh, attitudes towards women in the medieval period. So you can look out for all those things. Mm, I definitely will. Thank you so much for coming. This has been the Dutch Well. We are available <laughs> on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, wherever you can find podcasts. Thank you. Please like, share, and subscribe, and also check out some of the other episodes we made. You definitely gonna find something you like. Also, leave us a review if you on app, iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you know the time. That would help us out a lot. My name is Alan, and I'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.